You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Talkie Terry here. It's Talkie Terry. He doesn't like me very much. I mean, maybe. We'll find out. Um, you know, sometimes I do wind him up. Yeah, that's I just made a joke. Anyway, it was a bad joke. All right. So hope you guys enjoyed our discussion last week about the last night of a jockey uh with the the one cast member. Um, just to let you guys know, we got like quadruple the number of cast members this time. So you know, we're gonna have a lot more to talk about. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, this is one of those episodes where it's season five, episode six, living doll. Uh, this is one I've heard talked about and it's like kind of one of those ones people reference in regards to the twilight zone. Uh, I can't wait to dig into it. Um, and we're getting close to like, uh, this is the same week that's going to be black Friday. So maybe there's a special for a talkie Tina that you guys could take advantage of. I would say no, but maybe you will. Yeah, I mean, this year you really won't have to worry about trampling people, but, you know, you might be able to get a talkie Tina this year. Maybe, right? So, all right. Uh, yeah, like the season five, episode six, Living Doll, uh, air date November 1st, 1963. Uh, so, um, day and date. Oh, crap. I, you know what? I apologize. I must have took the week off. I didn't look up anything. So we're just going to say that space stuff happened and Kennedy's still around for a little while. That's your two facts. Well, yeah, that, uh, I, I think you're probably right. <laughs> I completely I think that's uh, yeah. I fell on uh, my keys. Mark. I apologize, everybody. I, I I usually go back and do that, and I just looked at my notes. I'm like, oh yeah, nothing happened. I'm sure. Watch this will be the one time like the most amazing thing happened, and I'll be like, I don't know. Um, I know like the number one movie last week was with the VIPs. That might be the number one film again. I don't know. And I know uh, Sugar Shack was the number one song. So let's just say, for the sake of argument. All that's still the same, and I didn't make a mistake. You know what, uh, folks? If uh, if you tune into our Instagram and our Facebook, I will fill in the gap there, and I will tell you about some <laughs> uh, events of the of the day or the the week. So uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, our, I, looked, I was I was talking. Media. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't actually do that. <laughs> I am so sorry about that. That is a complete fail on my part. Um, so yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I can verify that sugar shack was the number one song by Jimmy Gilmore and the fireballs. So congratulations. I was right. So I was half right about the thing. So anyway, um, yeah, let's just get into uh, cast and crew while I, uh, just get my life together here. Okay. So our director on this episode is, uh, Richard Serafin. Uh, this is his only, uh, twilight zone, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say appearance, but uh, this is the only episode he worked on. Uh, he did a, a couple of Batman episodes, 
uh, 22 episodes of Lawman and uh, two episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Yeah, that's what I got for him. So his big thing, like his claim to fame later, uh, would be 1971's Vanishing Point, which is supposed to be, I mean, I've seen parts of it. I didn't see the whole thing, but it's it's a really cool movie with some car chases that uh, Tarantino uses inspiration for uh, Death Proof, among other things that he uses inspiration. So, yeah, um, he has a cult following, and this is the only episode he directed. Yeah, and so um, moving on from him, we have our uh, writer. Now, there is big asterisks on this one, as far as I found out on the internet. Um, Charles Valmont is credited in the IMDb when you see who the writer is. But um, apparently, he was not the writer. Um, Jerry Soule was the writer and gave uh, Charles uh, the full credit on this episode. I'm not sure why that worked out that way. Uh, but yeah, yeah there so we <laughs> what what happened is I think you and I covered this ground previously with because uh, Jerry Soul is actually the guy who wrote um, one of your favorite episodes from season four, the new exhibit that was credited Charles Beaumont because we remember I think we talked about how he um, Beaumont who was you know he, at this time still suffering from um, the 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 whatever the disorder the disease that was uh, you know rotting his brain and he couldn't like produce the same way. Uh, that he kind of worked with Soul a little bit and was like, yeah, what about this? And then they, and Soul would write the script and they would split the money 50-50. So this is another one. And I, I had like, there was a story I read in one of my reference books where they were kind of bat, like talking back and forth about like, what if there was a doll that could talk and kind of say things that were unusual? And that was about as far as it got for Beaumont. But then like Soul wrote the episode in like a day and they got submitted. So... This is the second Jerry Soul episode that we've gotten, and I figured you would be excited about that because I know you really dug the new exhibit. Well, I thought it was a terrific episode and um, very dark, and that shows through on this episode too, so I can't wait to talk about the episode in proper. Um, and then Jerry will be able to provide us one more episode later this season. Yeah, so so yeah, there we go. But yeah, just it's... Uh, yeah, I, I'm still discombobulated because I completely did not tell you guys about anything that happened on this day, other than this episode airing. I, I it took me five seasons, guys, but I, I, I made a, I finally made a mistake in this series. I, I apologize. It's, finally, I've never made a mistake before. You're, you're suffering from the holiday hangover uh, pre <laughs> pre holiday hangover. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this the night of th- the the pre pre Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Eve, if you will. So yeah, I'm already dreaming of turkey and um, and yams and you know sleeping on a couch and not and not talking to my family. So I'm already I'm already into tomorrow. So I apologize for my lack of professionalism. It's all good, man. Uh, so yeah, so um, and then I have to make sure that we point out the fact that the score was composed by um, Berman Harmon. Uh, Ber- <laughs> Bernard Herman. Yeah, Ber- Bernard, Bernard Herman. Herman. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, uh, Bernard <laughs> Herman, who um, he did some original com- um, compositions for early in Twilight Zone, like Walking Distance and oh, some other stuff. I, I think The Hitchhiker as well. And also, uh, this will tie into this episode. He did an original score for the season three episode, Little Girl Lost. Um, and it, yeah, this music in this episode is awesome. Yeah, very creepy and uh, very uh, uh, for the uh, mood setting for me. I, I really enjoyed the score, so I'm glad that uh, uh, Mr. Herman came back and uh, did this. So, uh, and I know now into our cast. So we got 
Kojak himself, Telly Savaz. Um, he plays um, Eric Streetner? Streeter. Streeter. I think it's Streeter. Yeah. Um, you would also know him from Cape Fear and The Dirty Dozen. But he's he's mostly known as Kojak. I mean, he did the series and then came back for a bunch of TV movies. I mean, the ultimate uh, cop badass from TV. Like, I, I grew up watching Kojak. Uh, my grandparents loved Kojak. Uh, yeah, he, he's great, man. He was, he was a badass. Yeah. Uh, and see, he was also uh, Blofeld in um, Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think that was the one. So he was one of the first. Like, Blofeld was played by a couple people, him and uh, Donald Pleasance in the Bond films. Uh, so I some stuff I, I liked mentioning in his early career. Um, so uh, he began his, his, he was originally an executive director um, and then senior director uh, for doing new special events, new special events at ABC. He then became an executive producer for the Gillette Cavalcade Sports, where he gave Howard Cosell his first job in television. That's pretty cool. Um, so then uh, Savalas did not consider acting as a career until I uh, asked if he could recommend an actor who could do a European accent. Uh, he did, but his friend in question couldn't go. So Savalas himself went to cover for his friend, ended up being cast um, uh, in a film called And Bring Home a Baby. Sorry, an episode of uh, Armstrong Circle Theater in 58. Um, so that was 58. This was 63. So he didn't really consider acting until like he just showed up to help a friend out and got cast. And so then at that point, um, and from 58, he ended up, uh, being, um, with Burt Lancaster and, uh, the, the, was it the director, um, in a film called Birdman of Alcatraz in 62, which he was not, the film was nominated for an Academy award and he was, uh, um, nominated for a best supporting actor. And then the same year he would show up in Cape Fear. So from 58 to 62, think about that forward momentum for someone that didn't even consider acting. That's crazy. Yeah. This guy has kind of run the gamut of like who I would love to be. Like he's like who I want to grow up to be because he was also in World War II and he was a musician. He released a record. Oh, yeah. You're right. I, I saw that. I didn't put it in my notes, but he ended up uh, scoring a hit like in Europe. <laughs> like. You know, he is the most interesting man in the world. And he is the god. Well, he was the godfather of uh, Jennifer Aniston. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So interesting. He's still relevant. <laughs> yeah. And and you mentioned The Dirty Dozen, which here's an admission. I've not seen that film, and I feel like that's a big omission on my part, and I, I do need to see that film. Yeah, that, that's just another one of those mainstays for me that I have missed as well. So I... Uh, I'm doing my homework. I, I've got plenty of time this winter to uh, go through some major hits that I've never seen. So, yeah, that's on my list. Nice. So, so yeah. All right. Who else we got? Uh, next, uh, we got Mary uh, LaRoche. Uh, she plays Annabelle. Uh, she was also in an episode earlier um, called A World of His Own. Yeah, um, I think um, I had you watch that. I forget the episode we were talking about. But yeah, she was in that. That was from season one, I believe. Um, she was in Bye Bye Birdie, which was um, right before this. And then she did a lot of work until 1977 and then retired from acting. And then she lived until 1999. So, you know, she did. Her, she had a lot of work and then left, you know, left Hollywood and had a, a life after that. So good on her. You know, some people... Uh, keep trying and maybe she found another direction, but, uh, I think she is the most sympathetic person this episode. Um, 
<laughs> well, we'll talk about the script. It's like, I, I don't think she's wrong. This is just, it's a weird dynamic. She looked familiar to me, but I, I, I didn't really uh, recognize anything that she was in. The only thing that uh, she had a larger credit for was 27 episodes of a show called Karen. I don't really know anything about it, but you know, to give her a little bit more, uh, 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 I guess credit for this episode. That's what I got. Every episode was her talk, like wanting to talk to a different manager. That's what the, that's what, that's what the series was. <laughs> Let's bring this show back. Cause you know, you know, it's coming, you know, there's a show and it's going to be probably like done by the people that created the Simpsons. And it's just going to be called Karen. <laughs> I could see, I could see a Seth MacFarlane making a show called the Karen, you know, and just have, you know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think she was fine in this. Uh, there was, unfortunately, as, as we talk about often on the show that someone can have a, a pretty, pretty big, uh, career and we're not trying to diminish it. It's just that there's things that, that might be of importance or of worth. And because I don't have a familiar familiarity with them. I don't shine a light. So that's, that's more on me, but yeah. Um, I wish there was a little bit more to say about her between you and I versus like Telly Savalas, but that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately it's, it's kind of a product of the time. Um, you and I have not really seen a lot of the shows that some of these, uh, actors have been in or have even heard of them. Uh, yeah. And it's, it, I have to be apologetic for the fact that it's like, it's not against the actors themselves, but, but it's like our, I guess our ignorance to their career, but you know, it, so it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, next we have uh, Tracy Stratford. Um, she plays uh, Christy in this episode. Uh, one other episode of Twilight Zone. And that was a uh, little girl lost. Yep. She was the young girl in that. Um, not the last time we'll talk about this episode. I think like I mentioned, but Aaron Herman I did the score for that. And then the next person we're going to speak about has another connection uh, to Little Girl Lost. But yeah, uh, Tracy Stratford, um, just a child actor, worked till 1969. Like, don't have much after that for her. Uh, child actors are, um, there, there's plenty of them. Uh, there's plenty of not good ones. I think she's fine in this. She, she was fine for what she was in little girl lost. I think after a certain point, it's like either they grow, they start growing up and realize they don't want to do this anymore or, or, um, they're like Hollywood's is done with them. I don't know, but it is what it is. Yeah. It, it's an unfortunate product of, uh, of career sometimes for, uh, uh, you know, child actors. Well, and sometimes they can't forge through, Considering we uh, just talked about Mickey well, Rooney last, you know, last week, and he had every stage of career, you know, growing up, right? So he's like the like the other far end of the spectrum, right? Versus like her in terms of a career of starting off as a child actor, and then that was it for her. Maybe she didn't have fun with it. Maybe you know that was that. Yeah, and I, the fact that she had as long of a career as she did is still there's something to speak to about that. I mean, some of the um, children actors or child actors that we've covered in the past, they will literally do an appearance in a twilight zone episode. And that's it. Maybe, we'll, we'll maybe tell us of all she like in her was like the last straw. And she was, was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know. She's had a, she had, a, she had a more illustrious acting career than I have. So who am I to, to judge anything? Yeah. And, you know, and some of her, uh, other notable, uh, credits here, uh, she was the voice of Lucy in the Charlie Brown Christmas movie. 
Um, and then she uh, uh, was in the the uh, Evil of Frankenstein with Peter Cushing. Oh, okay. There you go. The more you know. All right. So yeah, I think that was a Hammer film. So yeah. Uh, and then our uh, last credit here that we will say, um, she was she didn't make a, a physical appearance in it, but she does the voice of T- Talking Tina, June Foray. Um, it, she, it, so she was a huge uh, voice actress for, for like what sixty years or yeah, so. Prolific, like to list. I I I couldn't even. I, I forgot because um, she was the voice of um, Tracy Stratford's character. Uh, whenever in the little girl lost, when whenever the girl was in the other dimension and she's like calling out to her daddy in that episode. June Foray did the voice on the other side calling out. Uh, so her and Tracy Stratford are connected to both of these episodes. And so when we did the, the dive back then, I, I didn't realize how big of a deal June Foray was. I tell you, Savalas had a very big career. I would argue June Foray has had a more prolific career for the amount of work that she's had. And it's crazy because she's just, she's just a voice in this. And, but she's, she's every voice ever just, like throw a dart. She's been associated with it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I remember when she passed, uh, not too, what was it? Let me double check here. Not she uh, passed in 2017. Um, I remember hearing about her passing and I was like, why do I know that name so well? And I looked up her INDB, uh, that day and I was like, holy crap. She is like a part of my entire childhood. Yeah. Uh, from Disney movies like Cinderella, uh, from Rocky, the rock, Rocky and Bullwinkle show. She did like multiple voices on there. Um, she was on the Smurfs. Uh, she was on um, like tons of cartoons that everybody grew up with. Like even if your parents were young, they were watching some of the shows that she did the voices for. And it's it's outstanding that she did as much as she did and kept with it. I mean, pretty much almost to the time of her death, she was still working. Yeah, and that's incredible. Yeah, and so, yeah, I just want to mention you said the Smurfs, specifically Jokey Smurf, you know, the most annoying Smurf, but whatever. Hey, pays the bills. She was also the voice of Granny and multiple Looney Tunes cartoons. Like, yeah, like, awesome, awesome. And we have some trivia about her later. I'm sure you know, like, the trivia about her voicing the doll and why that was kind of a big deal. If you don't know that, I'll, I'll get into it later. It's really funny. And she did a, she did a couple of voices in... Uh one of your wife's favorite films, a who framed Roger rabbit. So. Oh, that would make sense. Perfect. I mean, granny's in that movie. Isn't she for like a half second? Uh, was it, uh, Lena Hyena as in a, in easy. Oh. Okay. So she may have been one of the, um, uh, whatever. Anyway, I, I'm going to be watching that movie next, next month anyway, for the other show that I do. So I'm sure I will take a look out for her, but yeah, the, this is probably the biggest name in all this. And she plays a prominent role, but she's not on screen. So, um, yeah, I just want to mention uh, Robert McCord played the role of Talkie Tina, but he wasn't the voice. No, I'm just- <laughs> he was the one that threw her down the steps. <laughs> Robert McCord was the stand-in for whenever there was a circular saw going at somebody's neck. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true, but I just you know I thought it'd be funny to just be like, "Wow, there's more Robert McCord in this," but that's not true. Hmm. Yeah, so um, that's all I have for uh, credits here, uh, and uh, yeah, unless you had something else. No, no. I mean, clearly, I I, I came prepared to talk about uh, June Foray and nothing else. So let's just get to Serling's intro here, and we'll yeah, we'll kick off uh, Living Doll. Mm-hmm. 
talkie Tina. A doll that does everything. A lifelike creation of plastic and springs and painted smile. To Eric Strater, she is a most unwelcome addition to his household. But without her, he'd never enter the Twilight Zone. So I, I will throw down uh, the gauntlet here, um, and maybe somebody will challenge me later, but I think this is probably the fastest we've ever gotten to what is essentially going on with an episode. Like, I can't, like, sometimes things will take, like, halfway through to really get cooking. We're, we're into this thing, like, two minutes in. It is crazy. And I, I'm glad that it worked out that way because it works really well for this kind of story. Um, I think that we needed to get right into the meat of it because there's drama right from the get-go. So it's cool. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll get started here. So um, we open up to um, the... What was her name again? I'm sorry. I, it's uh, Annabelle's the mother, and uh, uh, Christy is the is the daughter. Yeah. So Annabelle and Christy are coming home um, from their night, uh, their weather day of shopping, and uh, they went to the department store and that, and came home with a bunch of stuff. And uh, before they even get into the house, uh, Annabelle says to Christy, "Like, all right, just just go upstairs, take your doll upstairs, and that, and you know, just be be quiet, basically." And so as they walk through the door and um, Christy is about to go upstairs, we uh, we see that um, Eric uh, is he's working, but he notices them walk in and he says, hey, what, what do you guys got there? What, what's all that stuff? You know, like they're trying to be sneaky about all this shit that they just bought. But, I, you know, that Eric is the one that probably just paid for it. So he, of course, wants to know what just happened. Yeah, um, I mean that like you like at first like when they're walking in the house and it's like oh I'm no running upstairs. I almost felt like it was like uh like it was going to be not a surprise for him. Obviously that's not true, but it almost felt like a birthday present. It's like don't like don't tell your dad like that we got this for you or whatever. But then before like as soon as they come in like the the door, he's already like at first he sounds reasonable, but then he goes from like zero to asshole in like three seconds. You know, like asking how much did it cost? How much did it cost? Like over and over again, right? And it's like it is um because he, he sees the doll and he's like, she doesn't need another doll. And like the dynamic between him and his wife is established pretty early. And I don't what what is it, Terry, about this season with like unlikable main characters? Cause he is very unlikable. I'm not sure. I think it's really to test the audience and really take them to a different place that probably they haven't been in television before. Because I think that most of the shows that are on TV at this point are comedies that are doing well. And so you got the likable dad or at least the jokey dad. And, um, you know, this is not this is not that character. So it's not that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, and so, I mean, I guess I'm getting in front of this a little bit. So, uh, so forgive me for you, you realize, so it's, it's pretty much determined like early on that, that, um, that she is not his actual blood daughter. Uh, Christy, uh, is his stepdaughter. Uh, he married, uh, Annabelle. And so it's like two for one. They talk about that later. And it's like you, you, it's really heavy handed and it keeps, they, they keep dropping the sledgehammer on you of him projecting his guilt and animosity towards the little girl because he and Annabelle can't have their own children. 
And so anytime Annabelle says anything, he's like, oh, is it because we can't have our own children? It's like, whoa, dude, like you're, you are projecting. And like, it just, it becomes like you, it's, it's, it's like, it's palpable where anything Annabelle will say to him, he's ready to throw um, his inability to give her a child, whether it's him or her or whatever, we don't know. That, that doesn't really matter. Like just everything's front and center about like the problem. And it becomes like, that's the wedge that's in this relationship. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I don't know if we've seen anything like this and it's a very real concern that couples do have. Um, but my God, it's like, it gets hit hard and keep, keeps getting hit repeatedly. Yeah, and I I think that it's it's him really trying to play the victim and the fact that it's like there is this uh, this uh, really positive dynamic between the daughter and and the mother, and he doesn't feel a part of it. So it's like he's trying to really force his way in there a little bit more by saying, "Hey, you know, I can be included in these kinds of things as well." Because I, I almost felt uh, there was a very small bit of it, so don't attack me when I say this, Paul, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that he feels a little left out in some sense. Like, yes, he married Annabelle, but he's trying to make sure that he becomes a little bit more at the forefront. So not being – like not going with them to the department store might be a problem. Not knowing what they purchased is the second problem. No, th- so that's I don't, fair. I'm not, maybe I'm not that's gonna, me grasping. Yeah. I'm not going to attack you, but I will throw you against the wall unprovoked. That's what's going to happen. No, uh, uh, no, you, you, I think I think you're right about that. Um, but I also think that because he gets in his head as we go along here that the two of them are working against him as well. So I think you're right. Um, I just think that um, he's he's not identifying like he's not reading the room correctly, you know, and it's from his own guilt or jealousy or whatever that's propelling him forward. And that's, that's his main motivation this entire episode. And I, you know, I, I understand what kind of uh, image they're, they're trying to paint of him and it's really effective. And I, I think, uh, is like, he's playing the character very well. Um, and so, yeah, so he uh, obviously tells him his, uh, and his concerns, like, uh, you know, I, what, what does she need another doll for? Uh, who, you know, how did you pay for it? And of course, you know, it's on his account and, um, you know, that, that upsets him. <laughs> and so, but he, yeah, but he's, he's, he's trying to play both sides of the fence here. So he's like, okay, well, let me see the doll. And so of course, Christy brings the, the, the box down and she's super excited and she pulls the, uh, the talkie Tina out and it starts, it starts to talk and, um, it keeps on going and going. And apparently <laughs> this seems to upset, um, Eric a little bit more. So he says, would you shut that thing off? And, uh, yeah. So yeah, Christy is not too excited about that. So she runs away. Yeah. Um, so then, um, like, I like what Christy was like, she's alive, you know? And then, uh, at that point, um, you know, the, the, the doll is left here. Christy goes up cause he yells, he, he yells her, she drives upstairs and then her, and then, uh, Annabelle and, um, and Eric have a talk and it's, you know, the same things we just talked about, 
but then as Annabelle goes up to deal with Christy, um, that's whenever, uh, when, when Eric picks up the doll and it's like this, this is literally three minutes in because I made my notes here where he winds the doll up and it says, uh, was it? I'm talking Tina and I don't like you. <laughs> like, I'm like, holy shit. Right. At the, this is where we're at. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to just throw you against the wall. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, um, there was no doubt about it. Like he was like, all right, you're against the wall. Now you're a toy. I'm going to just pitch you. And that was it. Like I, um, I was, it was funny to me, probably not funny on purpose, but I did laugh when that happened. <laughs> I, he plays it. He plays it. So I don't know. Abusive. Uh, and I was kind of scared. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> the right word for Annabelle. Yeah. He took, he took the, the facsimile of a, of a baby and whipped it against the wall. A baby that's not his, that was brought into his house against his will and threw it against the wall. I don't think that's trying to say anything about his character whatsoever. Yeah. And so, um, so Annabelle had to have heard this at this point, um, cause he threw it probably like 15 feet. <laughs> it was a pretty good toss. And you know, those things um, weren't, weren't like built out of light plastic. That's probably like, like a 10 pound bowling ball of a baby doll. This being whipped. I'm surprised it didn't knock down half the set when he hit the staircase. That's fair because it was an animatronic one too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it um, probably so, had like radium in the middle of it or whatever. It's like, that's how it's alive. It's just giving everybody cancer, you know, a reactor core. Um. <laughs> it's just like, look at this. It can show me my bones in my hands. That's not a good doll. No, like, I don't like that. <laughs> they built, they built them uh us strong at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, Oh, it's like, it's, it's, it's real life lead paint all over this baby doll. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, Annabelle must have heard this because she comes uh, running down the stairs like, what's that? What what just happened there? And uh, Eric says, you know, like real nice uh, language coming from this thing. I don't like what it said. And uh, she's like, you didn't have to do that. And he's like, I didn't like the doll. It's it, the doll pissed him off. You know, of course, that, that, that plants a, a bigger seed right there, too. Like <laughs> he doesn't like what certain things say. And then he's going to throw it against the wall. So I don't know. There's, there's some, there's some hidden, hidden language yeah. here. That's fair. And then, um, it's somewhere at this point, this is when we get, um, when we get, uh, the Sterling intro, right? Like, and talking about like, it's a, it's a fun intro of his, like it's a very short and sweet and to the point, but then that's when we get like, it, it, it ends up happening, um, where, um, if I remember, well, actually at that point was it didn't Annabelle come down and uh, not Annabelle, Christy came down and apologized about like the way she behaved, which she didn't need to. And he's like, no, it's on daddy or whatever. Right. And then at that point, that's when we get the Sterling intro because Tina talks again to Eric because the, the, both Annabelle and, um, um, uh, Christy aren't in the room. I, I get the, the, the order of this gets a little jumbled in my head because it's a lot of, it's just the doll talking shit to him the entire time. And I forget the order in which that happens. Cause every single time it's funny and amazing. Yeah, just the I just the fact that it, I mean, because yeah, th these events happen so quickly. So, the the doll says, uh, "My my name is uh, Talkie Tina, and I don't like you." And um, it, as it's like turning its head and everything, it says, "My my name is Talkie Tina, and I could even hate you." Like, that's <laughs> uh, that's pretty. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty badass. I was really enjoying this whole little segment. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think that yeah, because I think that's when we get uh, the Sterling intro, right? Because he's looking at the doll, 
uh, not not Serling, but uh, but Eric is right, and we cut over to Serling. Um, yeah, that you know, whatever. I I, I still wish as well as times that I wish he was like on set and like would just show up, but it is what it is. Uh, but then that's when we get like later on with um where they're at dinner, right? That's the next thing when they see them at dinner and uh and Christie's feeding uh, Annabelle like mashed potatoes or whatever. And I don't know what it is, but the little bit of mashed potatoes being stuck to that doll face, just it, it, it was gross to me. And I didn't want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's fair because I, I don't know, like some people that do like, I, I, I say people, I mean, children, when people have dolls uh, and they do like just the real life things with them, I, it, it's kind of strange because they're putting a bunch of food or like, they're changing diaper. I don't know. Like I, that is a weird construct for me that I don't understand. I don't know why people give baby dolls to children to treat them like babies. So I, it's really weird. I don't get it. Well, I mean, that's I guess, whole- I mean, I get like, you know, the, the, the play set and that's kind of fun, but it's like when it's physical food and it's just on, like, it's just like, this is food you're supposed to be eating. Guess I'm going to smear it all over this like doll. It's like, that's weird to me. And again, I don't have kids. I have dolls, AK action figures, but I'm not feeding them actively right now. They can watch me while I eat and they'll know what they're missing out on. But that's, that's a way different power dynamic. I don't even want to get into that, but it just, that was a little weird. Um, there was the whole thing too. What was it? Uh, he, uh, what was it? Like Annabelle says something like, Oh, she could be a great playmate for her. And then Eric's like, what are you just saying? Because she'll never have a brother or sister. It's like, Whoa, just cool your jets there, buddy. Like, I feel like he's he's at the ready for every single time. And be like, well, I'm just gonna go to the store. Yeah, are you gonna go try to find a brother or sister for her? Like that I can't provide. You know, like I guess I'm gonna read this book about baby names I can't give you. Like it's just he is so at the ready to always throw it at Annabelle. I'm like, it's. I get that we're in a very short runtime of an episode. My God, he like he has. That's the. It seems like to be the only thing he thinks about. He's constantly triggered, and I'm not sure. <laughs> why yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i'm not don't assume i can't give you a child no. I, I don't know what it is like, i'll go to the mall really get one right now like whatever you know so uh but yeah but then uh, as he's like you know like being kind of a dick at the dinner table uh the doll winks at him i think that's great because he's like oh the doll winks and, the, the, and chris is like no it doesn't he's like oh like it's like one of those things where like he says it out loud and like no one acknowledges it he's just like huh like, I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's 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 pretty fun. And I, you know, I, I like killer doll movies. Uh, I don't know why. It, they're really cool. Um, so the, the, the fact that this keeps on doing little subtleties like that and no one's notice, noticing, I'm just like eating it up like crazy because I've seen so many killer doll films that it's just like I was so looking forward to this uh, episode. Well, this almost feels like this is the the proto one, right? Like, I don't know. I'm sure that there was other things where, like, you know, objects come to life or whatever. Like, even even to a degree, there was a season three episode called The Dummy that's really, really good. That's a ventriloquist dummy, right? So there's that creepy notion. But this is an actual play thing that is, like, it has ill intent from the jump. So um, I feel like what you're talking about, like, you know, killer doll movies – I don't know if some of them would exist without this. So what, what are your, whatever couple, what are your uh, couple favorite killer doll movies? I figure that's a good, okay, a good so, topic for this. Yeah, actually I was going to take a brief aside uh, a, a little bit ago to say it, but, um, but the, uh, the ones that this one 
I feel like worked well with me and like the ones that I love because I mean, I, I like a bunch, but the ones that I think that this relates best with that I really do, do enjoy is you ever seen dolls? I think it was made by Charlie band. Oh no. I, I have, I have a weird relationship with the full moon stuff. I've not seen, uh, I've not seen dolls. Dolls is fun. Um, demonic toys is a lot of fun. Uh, and of course child's play a lot, a lot of fun. But, um, you know, like those are probably the ones that I gravitate towards the most because not only are they very hokey in, in some ways, but they are terrifying because when I was growing up, my grandmother, uh, who I lived with, she, uh, collected porcelain dolls. Oh God. And that, yeah. So that was like where those dolls were kept was the creepiest room in the entire house. And I didn't, I didn't want them to look at me because <laughs> I felt like they were following me, you know, with their eyes. <laughs> that That's fair. Um, now, and, and, and if people aren't familiar when, when you asked me about Charles band, like he is the main guy behind full moon productions or full moon studios. And you want to talk about like, you, you think, you think about how Marvel has a cinematic universe. Um, full moon is like, hold my beer. Like they're, everything's connected and they have like, um, was it, um, oh, you just mentioned, uh, demonic toys and, uh, dolls and, uh, puppet master. Like that, that's their, that's their bread and butter is all these weird little genre stuff. But I think some of that is like so tongue in cheek that it like, it pokes the tongue out of the cheek and it just becomes annoying. That's just my take. I, I, you know, if some people eat it up, that's fine. Uh, child's play. The first one's great. I've not revisited the sequels. I've not seen the remake either. Um, we watched uh, Dolly Dearest for the other show that I do, Invasion of the Podcast, because we were doing a, a year of the knockoff where we watched Child's Play and then Dolly Dearest. Dolly Dearest is a piece of shit movie, but there's some fun <laughs> in, like, in the last half of that film. There's some fun to be had there. Uh, uh, so correction on my point, um, it was Stu- Stuart Gordon directed the dolls. Um, but he did work with uh, Charles Band a lot okay. uh, on like Castle Freak and a bunch of other films and that. So that's why I kind of got lost. But Demonic there. Toys and though, is, re- is is uh, Charles Band in Full Moon, right? Yeah. Okay. So and I would I'd be remiss to uh, also share uh, Trilogy of Terror, which you guys covered oh, on your show yeah, as well. That last segment's a lot. Yeah, you're right. That's creepy as all get out. Karen so, Black yeah, getting tr- chased by a doll. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. I apologize. No, no, no problem. Um, I think this is a, a topic that we have a, quite a bit to say about. Um, but, you know, like being a child uh, and something as, you know, innocent as a doll. And then somebody's like, what's a good horror film? How about one about killer dolls? That <laughs> that, that has a lot to do with uh, nightmare inducing for a child. So, yeah, I had a lot of uh, terrific nightmares when I was a kid. <laughs> Yeah. Well, then there's even the, um, uh, the Simpsons Treehouse of horror, uh, clown without pity. That is the crusty, the clown doll. That is it, it, like after seeing this episode for the first time, realizing how much was taken from this episode into that small segment where the, the doll was talking to Homer and be like, you know, my name's crusty the clown and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, you can tell that there, there's this, this episode casts a long shadow in a good way. And it inspired a lot of people to do some fun things. So I think that's awesome. And I know that we're not even all the way through the episode, but this was this, you know, this kind of laid the groundwork to scare a lot of kids growing up to make other more screwed up things. So, you know, kudos. 
Yeah, I, I think it was the low hanging fruit in some way, but <laughs> damn, is it a, fair enough? <laughs> damn, fair. is it a good seller? You know. <laughs> Yeah. It so works well. Yeah. Sorry. So the doll winked at uh, Eric, and then um, and then what was it? Uh, Christy wants to go like talk to somebody outside, which I thought that was great because they they name dropped who this person was. It's like no, you can go out and see her. I'm like, you know what? Our budget only covers like three people on a talking doll. We're never going to see this other person. That's fine. Uh, and then Annabelle goes into the kitchen, and this is what Eric is like. He sets the doll in front of him. He's like lighting a cigarette, and it's like I something about that imagery is amazing to me. And he's just like, meh. I just. I just want to see how it works. Like you're like everything he says sounds like a, like just, just it, just, there's always like, it's like, it's a loaded statement that if you even begin to approach anything he's about to say, he's just going to like lash out. It's like, Oh man, you said uh, like abusive in regards to him throwing the doll against the wall. Like it just seems like he's always primed just to strike. And you know, he looks at this doll, he starts talking to it. And I, I like how it's like, my name's Talkie Tina and I'm beginning to hate you. And he's like, okay. And he lights a cigarette and, uh, and he's like, but I could hurt you. Like, or what was, that's what the doll says to him. And like, it's a very direct conversation between him and the doll where he's like, oh, okay. What are you all about? And the doll's like, basically like I could ruin your life. He's like, can you like, I don't know. Don't go threatening the doll. That's actually talking to you specifically. That just seems like a good rule for life. Yeah. You know what? I, I tell you what. This this dude Telly Zavala is playing uh, Eric. He, the only thing he's missing from like the normal tropes of like this kind of dad and a lot of things I've seen is he's missing a can of Schlitz in his hand. He just <laughs> plays. <laughs> he's missing a rolled up uh, pack of cigarettes in his sleeve. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. He, he is a dick, and um, you know the, the fact that he's sitting this doll down in front of him. And he's trying to not only figure it out a little bit more, but he's trying to provoke the doll. Like, you think you're bad at well, I'm bad. And, you know, putting a cigarette in his lips and he's about to light it. And he he actually touches the, uh, Tina with the the lip match. And uh, the, Tina, the Tina doll, like, says, ouch. And says, oh, you can feel that, huh? Um, what does he say? Uh... There was like a, a pretty good line here. I must have lost it. Um, but well, you know, like, like you the can, doll. Yeah, she's like, can you you can feel things or whatever, like to that effect, right? It's like you could feel pain. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's a doesn't everything. That's what she says. And uh, uh, you know, it's like it, it just kind of gives a little bit more ammunition to Eric at this point. Like, ah, oh, okay, so I can hurt you. There you so, go. So what's the next step here? So it's like, he's just trying to like put more like pieces in, into line to, uh, to take care of this doll later. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's a fun little moment. And then, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, you know, he, he believes that uh, Annabelle, cause she's never in the room when the doll's talking to him specifically about these things. He starts to believe that there's a microphone in it or somewhere. And that Annabelle and Christy are messing with him. And, um, you know, it just becomes this thing where he, again, sowing distrust. And at one point, um, this is whenever, um, he decides that he's going to like, he, they have this conversation cause like Christy's going to take the doll and show her, her friend or whoever. Um, and then we find out that, uh, Christy had left the doll in the garage. Um, and, uh, Eric walks out and sees the, <laughs> 
sees the doll there and he's, he gets the idea. It's just like, you know, hmm, guess, I guess I can get rid of this now. And now I, and this is what I'm going to call the doll trash cantina. That's the name of the doll. Now <laughs> he just dumps yeah, it in the trash uh, can. Well, the way that it's talking trash to, uh, to Eric, I think that's a, probably a, a befitting, uh, title to a trash cantina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he does that. And then, um, uh, it, it cuts to, um, him like, you know, uh, sitting on the couch eating walnuts, um, which I don't know about you. Have you ever like sat with a bowl of, of walnuts with like a nutcracker and tried eating like nuts? I feel like that's too much work. And I used to, you know, we, we used to have like a nutcracker like that in my house, but it's like, you know, if that's that much effort to get like, to get a nut out of a shell, that's not even that wonderfully tasty. It's not worth the time. You know, going to a baseball game is completely different now to when I was a kid, because I would get a bag of peanuts when I was a kid as a snack. And now as an adult, I look back at that. I was like, that's too much work, man. Just give me like some Skittles or something. Yeah. I'll crack Skittles open. That's fine. No, it's just, yeah, I got to, I don't want the extra work. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he's just sitting there. Prowlers can be like, you know, proto Al Bundy just sitting there cracking nuts, eating them. And then, um, Christy starts like, what have you seen? Have you seen Tina? He's like, oh, have you talked to your mother? And the, and, and Annabelle's like, well, no, we haven't seen her. He's like, well, I guess, I guess we don't know what happened. <laughs> he's just being a dick. And they go upstairs to try to look for the doll. And then the phone rings and, this might be like, I like this whole episode escalates in a really fun way. And he's like, hello. And it's like, uh, yeah, my name's talking Tina and I'm going to kill you. And that's your commercial break. That's amazing. It's, it really is a lot of fun. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I guess I'm a little tainted by the fact or jaded rather, um, by seeing a bunch of horror films about killer dolls. And, and so watching this episode, I'm like, it's a lot of fun. But if I was the audience in 1963 seeing this, I'd probably be shitting myself, honestly. Yeah, because, I mean, it's just it's like it doesn't make sense. And that's that's, you know, that's the point. Right. So then um, he uh, he goes back out to look in the trash can. It's empty, which is also creepy. Um, and then he uh, he talks to Annabelle and is about basically saying like, well, why? Like, like he's like, confronting her again about like, I know you're in on this. You called me. And she's like, like, what are you talking about? And then he has that moment of like, yeah, you made the phone ring, but you're in the house, which back in 63, that would have been really hard to do. But he even says like, uh, like if you're using an internal line to try to make a phone ring on its own, uh, he's like, there's ways, but you know, and there's that brief moment that with Natalia Savalas where he, he has this flash of doubt and it's like, he looks like a human being right then and there. And that that's when he's sympathetic for a second, but then it just kind of vanishes. Yeah. Because I mean, his anger is forcing him to what he thinks is only the one conclusion to it. He's like, Oh, you're, you guys have got to be in on this. So when he thinks, when he circles back around, he's like, well, that's not logical. How the hell would they be doing it? But then he's still trying to think of the fact that it's like, is there, it, there's no way it could be a doll. Like, cause I mean, he's still an adult. He's still a rational thinker here. It's like, no, like if it's not her, it can't be the doll. So what the hell else could it be? Yeah. So then, um, they, they go upstairs to, uh, 
um, to, to check on uh, Christy because the, the doll is missing out of the trash can. And then they see Tina in bed with Christy. And that's that's also kind of messed up. Well, one, because the doll, you know, ended up upstairs after using a phone somewhere. You know, Taki Tina used a burner phone to call him and taunt him and then broke it. We didn't see that part of the episode. Um, but like when she the eyes pop open and then she's directly talking to um, Eric and then she wakes up Christy. That's creepy. Uh, and then Eric's like, I'm going to grab this doll. And the force that he takes the doll from Christy is, is, is sad. But then she's like, daddy. And he just yells in her face. I'm not your daddy. My God, that is brutal. Yeah. And especially at a formative age as, as, uh, Christy is like, that's, that's pretty mind blowing. Honestly, like I, I, I think it's, it's kind of a rough segment to watch. Um, I think at that time, because like, you're always trying to depict the wholesome, uh, family. And this is basically an attack on a childhood right now. Like the child viewing somebody as their father. And then that statement, like it's a really rough scene to watch. It's probably the most uncomfortable scene in the entire, uh, episode. Yeah. So then, uh, he takes, he takes, uh, Tita and actually I'm going to let you talk about, uh, the next, uh, series of, uh, unfortunate events that happen. Cause I know you're, I know you are chomping at the bit to talk about everything that happens in the garage. So please walk us through what happens next. Um, this is my, my, my favorite part of the episode. All right. So Eric, of course is, uh, he's pissed to the point where he's got to do something about this doll. So he takes it down to his workshop and he puts the head of Tina into a vice and he's just slowly crushing it. And he's waiting for the doll to scream out in agony or something like that, because he already knows that he can, he can hurt the thing. And he's like, what, not enough for you or something like that. And she's like, I can stand it if you can. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay, fine. You know, like that's pretty wild. Um, and, uh, He's like, all right, you know, and he grabs a blowtorch and he lights a blowtorch and he's about to uh, start going at the the face of Tina with it. And every time he gets like close enough to actually hurt the doll, the flame goes out on the torch. And he does this about like eight times or so. (laughs) And it just keeps on happening. Yeah, it's 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 funny how like he's like, I'm going to get it. I don't got it. I'm going to I'm going to. No, I don't got it. So uh, he becomes uh, fed up with that uh, <laughs> uh, course of torture, and he <laughs> he grabs a doll and he puts it on his table saw, which I, I, just a quick aside: that is a big ass table saw. I don't know <laughs> what the hell he was chopping with that thing. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, you're right that now that you say like the the size of that 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 circular saw is huge, like um you know. I don't know, but that it meant business. And do you believe that a young Sam Raimi was watching this and that form that was like, you know, one day I'm going to use a saw in my movies. Like, I feel like, I feel like a portions of the evil dead may not have happened if it wasn't for the sequence. I'm pressing upon uh, Sam Raimi and company. I, I feel like that same prop was used in a double O seven film for like, <laughs> With you know, like trying to like cut Blofeld trying to, to, to cut bond. In <laughs> <laughs> Blofeld, AKA this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, uh, he takes Tina to the, to the saw 
And um, he's about to chop her head off with it. And every time he gets closer to the blade and like right as you think that it's going to just chop her head off, you see the sparks just start shooting. And he's really laying into it, trying to cut the doll's head off. And there's there's no uh, there's no advance on the neck here. Yeah. It's just sparks. Yeah, so it's, when it's he pretty a- effective. It's a pretty effective sequence because you see, you're right. You mentioned the sparks. You see him just trying, and I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they how they did that. I mean, obviously they put some kind of like a plate in place or something to get the sparks, but like it it works, and I'm not quite sure how they pulled it off. It's it's fun, man. It's it's a really good shot. I, I think it's it's simplistic in itself. Um, if you really look closely at some of the things that they were doing, you can you can find the, like what what they were trying to do. Um, as the, the close up, um, g- gag here. But I mean, if, if you're watching this for the first time as a viewer, you don't give a shit. You're like, Whoa, what's going on right now? So yeah. like, it's, it's a very effective. And as he's trying to cut the head off of Tina in walks Annabelle and she's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what the- <laughs> a fair question. And like this, he looks like a maniac right now. <laughs> Just yeah. as I, it's, if you are Annabelle walking in on your husband trying to chop the doll, chop the head of the doll off that was given to his stepdaughter, you might be questioning your relationship, which so, is what she does immediately. Yeah, she does. And right, but like my question to you, and not to to drag this out further, but it's like, I, did you ever like? <sighs> I never got like, I, I get that she married him and she already had a daughter, but it's like, like, what did he, what did she ever see in him to begin with? Like, I just, this whole thing was adversarial from the jump, you know? And it never felt like they were a unit that this was like being a wedge. I felt like from the, like from the get go, nothing she could do would ever appease him. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not really seeing it. Um, you know, like, maybe it's like she saw him at a you know a club and he was singing on stage with the full head of hair (laughs) (laughs) who loves you baby you know like (laughs) (laughs) i i'm not sure but yeah like he is definitely showing his true colors right now um he's a madman and i think there is a bit of fairness here to say that uh the that tina has pushed him over the edge that he probably would have gradually gotten to in the future because I don't it, it, like you were saying, like we got to this point pretty quick. I think this is a, in a matter of like a couple hours. It's it's, just, it's like a day and a half or whatever. Right. Like it's not even, I mean, I think it might even be a day. You're right. It, it just, uh, it is it, zero to 60. Right. So um, that's whenever like, like Annabelle is upset about this, but then, like, I think she walks out and then um, Eric, rightfully so, takes the doll, wraps up in a burlap sack, like ties it up, puts it back in the trash can, looks over across the way at his workshop, grabs two, two or three uh, just like pieces of like, um, like concrete slab. Yeah, yeah. And then puts them on top of the trash can. I'm like, that's not an unreasonable, that's not an unreasonable move to put, like knowing us as the viewer and him, what has just happened? I don't think that I don't think that's wrong. I'd also say at that point, um, you do that and then you take the doll outside the house. That's just me, but you and I both know that uh creepy doll movies that doesn't seem to do anything either. 
No, I, and I, that happened in Child's Play too. Uh, the doll was smashed to pieces and buried under the ground, and things were still happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, it's like I, I, I'm sympathetic, obviously, for Eric at this point because he knows he's not insane. But you know, we got Annabelle and Christy seeing him being completely unjust right now. Yeah. It's a doll, you know, like, so it's, it's two weird scenarios that are played out in this that you as a viewer are like, well, what the hell? Like, obviously you want to get rid of the doll, but you don't want your family to think you're a dick either. So there's no good guy here in the end. That's fair. So, so then he goes upstairs, sees that, uh, Annabelle is uh, packing her shit to leave and he, I, there's there's this a line of like what if I give the doll back are we then even and I'm like you are so far from even like that's not a we all good but that's the way he plays it and she's like I don't know and then he goes and grabs the doll out of the trash can hands it back to to Christy and somehow they are even I whatever I mean I guess you know I, I, would, I would argue that um that Annabelle uh, you know she's partially to blame for what's about to happen next because she had the opportunity to hightail it out of there, you know, and leave him to wonder like how to fix things. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I'm sorry, but somebody to easily forgive somebody so abusive, like that's also problematic. That's what I meant to say. That's, that's probably a better way to frame that, but she's okay. Again, the doll got back to Christy and all is well. I like that when he pulls Tina out of the bag too, she says, I don't forgive you. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you're Eric at this point, what do you do? Like, do you say, nah, man, it's that, that's, that was it. Like, that's the, that's the edge right there. And I can't take this. And then you just like set the, the bag on fire with the doll inside of it. <laughs> like, like, yeah, hey, maybe I can't you, set your, your flesh on fire. <laughs> be like, Hey, do you like, do you want more mashed potatoes? Like I can get you more mashed potatoes. It's fine. Whatever you want, whatever you want doll, you know? I, I feel like it's the next the next stage here. It's a wildly coyote scenario where it's like he straps it to uh, some train tracks and <laughs> lets the yeah. train run over it. That yeah, that you're right. I, I I did gloss over that. I just you know like I I, I think I mean Annab- Annabelle is as much um, a victim here as Christie. That I, I I guess I want to make that clear. Um, it just it does seem odd to me that. Like, I mean, we don't, we don't know the circumstances. This is a very short episode. Maybe, maybe she's also as much as she was going to walk out on him. Maybe she didn't have options. And this is one of those things where it's like, it's better to appease him. in in the meantime, until like, maybe he'll get better. Maybe things will change. Maybe, maybe he'll stop trying to attack dolls, you know, reasonable hopes for a married couple. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into that. It just felt weird how fast she was, uh, relatively okay with him again. Well, and I think that we get kind of a, a glimpse of maybe how the dynamic is in this household right before they walk into the house at the beginning of this episode. Annabelle wants Christy to disguise the fact that she just got a new doll. So the steps that lead up to this point, we don't see and we don't know how abusive maybe that the relationship has gotten to this point if at all i mean like i I might be reaching when i say that too but it the fact that annabelle is literally packing a bag right now to go out the door i don't i I think there might be a little bit more that has not been seen by the audience so like it's a fair it's a fair thing to probably probably dive into 
Yeah, so I'm I'm overthinking that about a an episode in which there's a doll that is actively aware of Kojak and trying to hurt him. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so then we get to the very very end here where uh, it's nighttime, um, and I, I will say this too: like as much as the Bernard um, uh, Herman score is amazing in this. Uh, credit to the episode and the director to know when to pull the music away. And there's something about the mechanical wearing of like when the dolls wound up that with no other sound is really creepy by itself. And that's what wakes up uh, Eric. It's just creepy. There, there is, there is something so amazing about uh, how sound works for film. Uh, there's just, a, there is an art to it. There's no way to describe it. Otherwise there's an art to it the the way that people are able to paint an image just with sound and like how you as a viewer are anticipating something completely different with no music and that's what we got here um you know eric hears the sound build to a very audible point where it like when he wakes up he's like what is that and it, it it's it's scary. It's a it's a scary uh, like place to be in to be Eric because not only you have this doll threatening you, but now you you can hear it. It's coming. Where yeah. is it coming from? Like, it's something. You know, it woke him up, right? And then yeah, so he wanders around trying to hear this thing, and uh, and he starts to walk down the steps, and it's actually it's actually a very effective moment where he doesn't see the talky Tina on the steps and he steps on it and he just, you know, just barrel rolls all the way down this, uh, the stairwell. It's, it's, it's a very violent sequence like on purpose, right? Like, but it looks very un- like, I mean, it looks deadly. Right. And, um, he hits the bottom of the stairwell. Um, the doll tumbles and lands by his face. And so he's like looking at it and then for like, I think he's looking at it and then he closes his eyes and passes away and um, that's creepy. And then Annabelle comes downstairs and sees uh, and sees him dead and the doll beside him. And that's when Annabelle says, like, you know, hi, not Annabelle, sorry, Tina. My name's Talkie Tina, and you better be nice to me. What a way to end the episode. That is, uh, that's a dagger right there. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I, because there is the fact that her husband is dead now. And she knew everything like was a little weird with her husband. But when she hears that from the doll, it's like, Oh my God, he was right. Was he telling the truth? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's frightening. It is frightening. So it's a very effective ending. I, I will say though, that Serling's uh, <laughs> his dialogue at the end was like, we know that dolls don't like talk to people and kill people. And he says a couple other lines. He's like, but this doll talked and killed people. I'm like, wait, make up your mind. Can they kill people or not? Rod, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, not the greatest closing dialogue. No, but, you know, it's like we know this can't happen, but it did in the Twilight Zone. You know, whatever. No, it, this was um like you know when I say heavy handed, I mean I, I get that's a twenty four minute episode, so you gotta you know like as much as we have talked about the frustrations that we had with season four, where there was a lot of running in place. Um, you know. This is one of those episodes. I don't. I don't need it to be an hour, but I think a little bit more, like, you know, a little bit more. I think would have uh, helped um, me cement the dynamic of the family and actually kind of make me a little bit more like. 
I think, I think Eric, I think not that he needs to be sympathetic, but I think that there could have been a little bit more understanding from the viewership on his, from his perspective. You know, he just comes out as a dick comes out swinging and he kind of stays a dick the entire time. So whenever he takes his tumble down the stairs, um, no one is upset about this, which I mean, I get that's the point, but I don't know as a viewer that that's the, that's necessarily the best journey. I mean, that's fair. Um, I think the, the way that this was all put together, it, it, it paints a decent image of what, what the family is like in a, in a sense and the downward spiral that the, um, that Eric is for his mental capacity. Um, but like we could have been, he could have been a little bit more rational and we could have had a look like a more dynamic change to who he is and how manic he becomes. Um, so I, I mean, I could see it both ways, uh, for what they did here though. It was, it was amazing. I, I actually love this episode. It's probably one of my favorites of all, all the episodes that I've watched. Well, I mean, I, I figured this would be right up your alley. So like, I, I had no doubt about that. So, uh, do you have any other notes about the episode before I get into some trivia? Uh, no, actually that's, that's it for me. Okay. So, uh, the, the, the trivia here, um, I have is that the doll used for talkie Tina was produced by the Vogue doll company between 5961 and marketed under the name of, uh, um, briquette, uh, it's B R I K E T T. I don't know. Briquette. That sounds like, Oh, you could also throw it in the fire. Um, so contrary to its depiction on the twilight zone, uh, it was a non talker. Uh, it, but in this one, it was you know portrayed as, um, uh, you know, talking, um, and that the Tina was actually modeled after a, uh, chatty Kathy, which was also a popular talking doll being manufactured by Mattel. Um, so at the time, the Chatty Cathy was a doll you could buy in the stores produced by Mattel. The voice of Talkie Tina and Chatty Cathy are both June Foray. Yeah, I found that fact too. I thought that was amazing. I, I, I don't know if they, do you know if the Mattel doll was made? Yeah, it was made prior to this. Cause you said that was uh, the inspiration for it. Um, so they had to have uh, tracked down June, June Foray and said, Hey, you, you did the voice of this doll. You got to be the talking dead, like killing doll here. No. Yeah. And that's exactly right. So, um, th- there's a little equipment here about like, you know, how like June for I'm sorry, but in here, I mean the book that I, I'm going to quote the, the twilight zone companion, um, they, that, that talks about that too, about how like, you know, June for is like, yeah, I was chatty Kathy, but this one's supposed to be a little more sinister. I don't think there would be a company in this day and age that would let like one of their, like, you know, people that did a voice for uh, a, like a character they're trying to sell immediately do something very similar that would be um, detrimental to their ability to sell the item. And I thought this was interesting. They're like, Oh yeah, it's a killer doll, but there's a perfectly fine one you can buy in the store. I don't think that was supposed to work out that way. I, especially a, a juggernaut like Mattel. Uh, there's definitely like clauses and contracts now where like, yeah, you can participate in this kind of stuff, but this is the stuff that's like, there's no way, no how that you can be a part of it at all. Uh, I That's the wave of the future, man. Everybody's so happy. <laughs> well, yeah. I just think also from a marketing standpoint, that would be a, a poison pill in a way, right? 
So, all right, other bit of trivia, and this one, this one, Terry, you're gonna, you're absolutely, you're gonna dig. Felix uh, Celia, best known for playing the role of cousin It on the Adams Family, um, and uh, Tweaky, the robot on Buck Rogers, was a stand-in for Tracy Stratford. So, cousin It was a, a stand-in for the child actor. During what scene? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, maybe some pickup shots with like I, I don't know, but uh, cousin It. Like, I just, I think it'd be funny, but it's like, Tracy, just wear this wig. Just, it's going to go, it's going to go a long ways. It's fine. He's still alive too. He does, uh, cons and, uh, and around the regional area and, uh, nice. So, huh. all right. So there's your, there's your Adam family connection. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got in terms of, uh, trivia for this episode. I'm sure we'll give our final thoughts here in a second. Um, uh, but as is customary here on the show, we should, uh, rate the twist. <laughs> That Taki Tina would kill Eric, I'm going to give that a one because it was pretty much known three minutes in what was up. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one, dude. Uh, it's a total one here, but that does not take away from the fact that it was amazing to watch. <laughs> it's like it's like calling the shot. It's like when Babe Ruth like called his home run, it's like, oh, what's the twist? He got the home run? That's a one. You know, like, you know, yeah, no, Taki Tina straight up was like, I'm going to murder you. And at the end of the episode, ah, he got murdered. All right. Well, we knew what was about to happen. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was fun to to, I guess, uh, watch how you knew everything was going to play out. Uh, because I think in the fact that it's a, a killer, well, I don't even want to say killer doll episode because that's not what it was labeled as the fact that it's a, a talking doll and it's twilight zone. It could have went a few different ways, but you, you kind of figure doll twilight zone. It, it could go in a very sinister way. So I, I'm glad that, uh, we saw it unfold this way because killer dolls are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was a fun episode. Um, and you know, I can see why this is one of those ones that, um, when people think of the twilight zone, like this, this is one they think of. Right. So yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure this will probably pop back up again in our, um, season review, uh, which is uh, a little ways away, <laughs> like a long ways away, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to do it for our discussion about living doll. Uh, before we talk about what we're doing next, uh, I should uh, mention you guys can find us on Strange Highways on uh, Facebook. Uh, you could also uh, email us directly at um, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, wherever you find your uh, podcast, uh, rate and review us. That'd be greatly appreciated. And Terry, where else can people find us? Okay, you can check our wacky posts on Instagram nowadays. Uh, we post as best as we can uh, weekly. Uh, I'm, again, I'm still trying to get with the now when it comes to uh, social media and that. Uh, but yeah, we are strange highways podcast at Instagram. So yeah, check us out on there. Um, and wherever you are listening to your podcast, please rate and review us. Uh, we are on uh, Spotify nowadays. So uh, if you, if you like Spotify, you normally listen to podcasts and music through that, follow us on there. Uh, we're not sure about how the, um, that, that whole deal works. Uh, but, you know, if you follow us, maybe it, it builds an algorithm. Yeah, maybe. Um, 
yeah so uh the, the please and uh, where if you like the show recommend it um the, we're running into this uh situation here in the united states where it might be better to stay home and and uh not interact with people so podcasts are a great way to do that like um i can testify that i uh get my uh 10,000 steps in each day, walking around my house like a madman. I almost like walk a circuit in my house like I was a cardboard cutout at home alone to deter the wet bandits. That's what I feel like when I'm walking around my house. But I listen to podcasts and I scare away the wet bandits. So maybe you guys do that too. Um, yeah, recommend it. Uh, that was a weird tangent, but you know, it's, it's getting to the holidays and we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. Hope everybody has a good and safe Thanksgiving. But we're, we're going to keep powering through the Twilight Zone. Uh, we have a new episode next week. It's going to be about the old man in the cave, which I think I think the Twilight Zone is taking a shot at me. I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Uh, here's what Serling has to say about it. And now, Mr. Serling. Next on Twilight Zone, a journey into a future moment, a nightmarish, frightening moment in time when man sits in his own rubble and surveys the legacy he's left to himself. James Coburn and John Anderson star in The Old Man in the Cave. Recommended viewing for the more imaginative amongst you on The Twilight Zone. Also called 2020. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh, but here we are. So we get James Coburn again. Uh, we yeah. get some James Coburn talk again. So yeah, that's interesting. Like, like, whatever happened to him? Oh, yeah, he hosted the dark room. But yeah, we'll talk more about him later. So Old Man in the Cave next week, uh, this living doll this week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, like, going to have a safe uh, and fun, uh, responsibly fun uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And um, yeah, I guess my thing is, you know, don't piss off dolls by throwing them against walls to start. Because I think that's not a good way to start a relationship. And no matter what the price is, avoid the talkie Tina 